This is Auto Line This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Auto Line This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode. Hi, I'm John McElroy, and welcome to AutoLine This Week. You know, there's always tension between automakers and their suppliers. I suppose that's always going to be the case. Some automakers handle it pretty well, others not. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, because Plant Moran has just released the latest survey results of its supplier working relationship, which shows how different suppliers rate the different automakers. And here to talk with me about it today are Dave Andrea and Mark Barrett, They're both principals with the company Plant Moran, which does accounting, tax, and consulting work. And especially on this side, what we're talking about today is the consulting. Mark, Dave, thanks so much for joining me today. I I went through the the results of your survey. Very interesting. There's a a sort of a similar pattern. Toyota and Honda at the top of the list. Suppliers seem to like them the best. General Motors and Ford, somewhat more down in the middle. We'll get into those details. And then Nissan and Stellantis, you know, which includes the Chrysler group of Stellantis. Now, not doing so hot, especially Stellantis. I mean, it it just plummeted in its ratings in your latest survey. Dave, let me start with you. Whoa, what the heck is going wrong with Stellantis and its suppliers? Well, first, John, thank thank you for giving us the opportunity to discuss the results of this year's study. You, you, you're right. The the order the order and ranking of the OEM stayed the same in this year's study. I think one one of the major uh, takeaways from it is that with all of the industry issues and all of the tensions that you you mentioned here as well, two of the the, the Two of the OEMs actually increased their WRI, their Working Relations Index uh, uh, numbers, year over year. Two two OEMs basically stayed the same, and and two of them dropped. So even dealt with the same uh, uh, hand hand of cards here from the same same deck. The OEMs did definitely treat uh, the the issues differently. Yeah. Why do you think Stellantis dropped so much? I mean, I've been following this study for 22 years, the 22 years that uh, it's been coming out. I've never seen a company plummet so fast so far. Well, you, you've you've reported on uh, one of the major issues, which was uh, their terms and conditions, which uh, actually they have uh, uh, rescinded uh, recently, even before seeing the results of the of the study here, so they did the right thing. They they heard the voice of the supplier, uh, and, and what that included, they were demanding immediate price cuts, right? And that suppliers had to turn over their intellectual property for any improvements they made on the parts and components yeah. that they supplied to Stellantis. And, and in that, fact, they they even replaced their head of purchasing. Well, that's that's a a good quick recap of all the issues that that were in there. Terms and conditions are supposed to manage risk, right? Balance risk between the two parties, and uh, Stellantis's terms, you know, very definitely skewed the risk uh, to the supply base, and so they they heard from that. the The other piece that has been uh, reported certainly with uh, Stellantis uh, here as well are the uh, pressures on cost reduction. And the like in in uh, their efforts on electrification. Earlier on, that was really presented more from a uh, shifting the cost, shifting the investments over to the supply base. And I think 
Uh, recently here, the tone of those messages has been about cost reduction, actually taking the cost out, not shifting the cost um, from that, that standpoint. And then, and then third, I think, uh, behind those numbers is the, uh, still the integration of PSA and FCA. And, and they've been public there too about the need for uh, organizational uh, restructuring and uh, reduction of workforce there. And those, uh, those issues showed up in the, uh, particularly in the elements of the buyer characteristics uh, uh, that roll up into the, the WRI. Yeah, you know, it's interesting um, everything that you're talking about there, but I've never seen uh, a car company back off so quickly, replace its head of purchasing and make those changes. And, I, and I'm bringing that up because one of the things that comes out of your survey is the importance of trust between an automaker and its suppliers. Why is that so important? Well, well trust in, and look at all of the workarounds and all of the requests that, that had to be uh, uh, dealt with over the last 18 to 24 months here. None of this was scripted, right, in terms of uh, the microchip shortages or the logistics issues at the ports uh, and the like, or, or material cost inflation, thinking about the steel prices and other material. And, and, and so from there, you need, you need trust, right, in terms of dealing with all of those issues that come up uh in the in the industry and and now we're facing these issues simultaneously which is another i think a really big difference uh the industry has always handled these issues right um but they're simultaneous now so you need trust when when we first took over the survey here and i presented that to the oems they all came back at me and said well how, what's trust right that's really soft it's nebulous what what really is it and so we went back and, and we did additional research and it comes down to to three key issues it comes about in in terms of putting forward realistic expectations in terms of what what the two parties need to to deliver on it comes down to accountability saying what you're going to do um and fulfilling those 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 commitments, and then the third is sharing information um, adequately to for both parties to deal the, uh, with with these issues. And what we see, John, is is that we it's a two way street, right? So the OEMs that do those things well, realistic expectations, accountability, and uh, also share the information. The suppliers, in turn then also do those three things. And so the gap, when we ask about the gap between how do the OEMs, your customer be, behave, and how do you behave in response to those behaviors, we, we see that the gap is, is the smallest between Toyota and, and as you go down the WRI rankings, it's the largest uh, with, with Nissan and Stellantis. Then. Mm -hmm. Mark, you really specialize in uh, the supplier industry's transition to electric vehicles. How's that working out in terms of what Dave was just talking, <clears throat> you know, uh, having realistic expectations, good communication and following up and doing on what you said you were going to do? It's, uh, thanks, John. It's interesting that I think we're in the early stages of that still. Uh, as as of now, but you know the 
What's interesting from the EV transition and the WRI survey is all of the results take place against that backdrop of of this massive shift in the in the supply chain and in the, in the products. And some suppliers will make that shift easily and are making that shift. Some uh, will find more difficult. You'll see that kind of relationship reflected. It, it's it's interesting when you think of the, you know the, the massive battery. Uh, plant investments which are underway right now with GM Ford, uh, Stellantis, and, and others, and you'll see that they've selected their joint venture part partners with um, you know, with the with the mainly Asian uh, battery manufacturers right now. That's a big shift in the way that a OEM has a relationship with a with a with a supplier in such an important component of the vehicle. And so, one of the things we're looking forward to going forward. In the next time we do this surveys, is how is the relationship with GM with an Altium? You know, does GM treat Altium like it treats other suppliers or not? That that's going to be very interesting. But as far as the as the impact on traditional suppliers and how they responded in the in the WRI, I would say it's it's very much along the lines of just the trust factor that Dave was describing. Is there really that much information out there? Is, you know, how do we? Do we trust your projections yet on the growth of EVs? How much do we need to invest in capital while we're still dealing with the supply chain issues that and the, the, the shortages and the material cost? And frankly, even that that's exacerbated almost in the battery world because of the raw material access and the, and the volatility of the of raw materials in a battery. So still still to be determined, but we're looking at that one very closely. David and. and Oh, I was just going to pick pick up on that. Is in those issues that Mark ran through, that's where the corporate policies and procedures need to support uh, the buyers and the and the procurement uh, group. And and just from the standpoint of supporting a supplier who does uh, yeah. step step forward, make major investments, and the EV programs are at risk. Right in terms of how they're going to come out. So if there's any sunk costs in terms of stranded investment, that the that the OEM shares in that in that risk, um, or if volumes don't turn out, uh, which have always been a, a, a tension point between the suppliers and the OEMs, that uh, some some risk sharing goes on or cost sharing if those volumes. Do not uh, come come to fruition. There's always going to be tension for the very issues that you just cited there between automakers and suppliers. But is there any kind of correlation that you can point to that good supplier relationships benefit a company or even put more money to the bottom line? Well, there 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 is in in terms of think thinking about the the correlation right between good supplier relations and uh, and uh, a financial return. Uh, case in point, I think, which which shows up in, in this year's uh, survey, in right in the middle of this year's uh, industry issues here. For example, Toyota has been put forward as having uh, managed well their, their contingency plans down through the supply chain in terms of for um, uh, for, for the microchip shortages. And so down the line, and you can pick 10 other other supply chain risks that, that they have contingency plans for. 
if if the OEM does not have the trust of the supplier to put that information into those contingency plans and keep those contingency plans current and accurate, there's no way that you can cascade that down uh, from, you know, first tier is hard enough, but then get that information second tier and third tier. The OEM really sets the stage of all of those behaviors down the line. So that's one element that I would I would give you, John, that um, where there is financial return. Mm -hmm. um, and we do in this survey also ask about uh, supplier-derived benefits. So thinking about putting, uh, uh, putting your uh, supplier's A-team on launches and thinking about you know, all of the launches that still occurred uh, through the, the last 18 months uh, or 24 months here. That's the way the supplier relations, that, that's the return on investment mm -hmm. um, uh, from that, that standpoint. Mark, do you see the same thing on the electrification side in the sense that automakers traditionally have only dealt with the tier one suppliers? That's why they're called tier one. They, they uh, sell or deliver directly to the automakers. As you go down the other tiers, those are suppliers supplying suppliers. But I think the automakers learned from the chip shortage. Uh, they were buying chips not from the chip companies. They were buying them from different suppliers that had bought the chips themselves. How about when it comes to the raw materials for batteries? Are you seeing automakers looking beyond just the tier ones? Oh, oh absolutely, yes. I mean, I think what you're seeing is um, a really interesting um, new area for automakers to explore, which is which is going directly to the raw material uh, extractors in some cases. You've, you've recently seen, I think it was GM's uh, relationship with, with Glencore, uh, which was announced uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is really directly to the, the raw material supplier of, of uh, you know, the extractors. You've seen, I think GM also been active in the lithium in the Salton Sea out in California. So so that's, that is a new area. And re related to the WRI, that's an area of purchasing that, that the OEMs are probably not that experienced in right now. Mm. The volatility, you know, we've seen some areas where, you know, historically OEMs have hedged in, in certain materials, but this is a new area where the exploration is still new, certainly in the US. The supply chain globally is, is difficult with, you know, the geopolitical tensions. And it's an expertise that the OEMs really start to need to grasp uh, quickly. And I think they will start to be seeing, as you look at, look at Ford, for example, as they, as they split between ICE and EV, the buyers in, that, in the EV side are certainly going to have to have some knowledge, expertise, and an understanding of the, of the commodities market, the raw materials mm -hmm. uh, moving forward. So that, that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, Dave, that, that buyer knowledge was something that came out in the survey, too, that mm -hmm. I found very interesting. I mean, it's one thing when you're talking batteries and buyers are getting into areas they never knew before. They never had to buy lithium or manganese or cobalt or things right. like that. But but what your survey showed is even on traditional kinds of parts and components, there's been a lack of buyer knowledge, the purchasing buyer at the car company mm -hmm. not knowing it. And it seems to be impacted by turnover and I'd like you to, to to fill out the details on this, but it seems like the, the, the two companies at the top of your, your survey, Toyota and Honda, tend to keep buyers in place, whereas, you know, the Detroit three turned them over. And 
And as you know, there's a reason for that. They're afraid that their their own buyers are going to get a little too palsy wellsy with the supplier. And and we've also seen areas of of corruption. You know, when you have that too comfortable of a relationship. So so how do you increase your buyer's knowledge and and yeah. avoid those kinds of issues? Right. So on 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 the top of your question there, John, with, with, without a doubt, it, it came from all the industry uh, turnover in terms of their organizational turnover. Some of it also came about in terms of the COVID restrictions on, on traveling and getting out to the plants to really understand the, the supplier's products and things like that, and, and vice versa for the suppliers to get into the OEM uh, facilities and engineering facilities and the like there. But you know, first I, I would push back a little bit on the corruption and some of those elements. Th those are real issues, but exceptions. I, I, I agree. Okay, now, they don't happen now. much, but it's a reason why right. they do turn but, them over. But the middle part of your question about in terms of the the, the becoming the pals of of the uh, suppliers and and not getting the best price and those types of things, what what the industry needs there is the checks and balances, right? Mm -hmm. It needs purchasing, working with engineering, and, and, and then working with cost estimating and, and manufacturing and quality. And if all of those uh, if all of those groups, you know, if there's no no light in between those groups and they're all working with the suppliers, they're all aligned from that side, that's your checks and balances, right? Because you're not gonna get you, you, you can see if there is any any kind of uh, uh, exploiting any kind of relationship there, right? There's more people in the room, but but you also check quality with engineering innovation, with trying to get the lowest price, uh, but but not delivering on the other elements. So that's and many of the companies have started, you know, uh, uh, like Ford's Match Pair program, right? That matches a purchasing person at the each each level with with someone in engineering that that's one example of how you get around that yeah um one of the things that you brought out in the survey dave is uh the COVID example how this industry the auto industry especially you know the detroit-based automakers turned on a dime and started cranking out masks and respirators and and things like that and you use that as an example of how how this industry between automaker and supplier can get things done very quickly. How, how do you inculcate that kind of approach in normal everyday things, not just when there's an emergency or can you? Well, yeah, it, you know, you, you don't want it always to be a crisis situation, right? To bring out the best in people. But I think there's a couple of things. One is because we have had such a, a, a continuous number of, of crises facing the industry, these war rooms that have been put together, right, in terms of for cross-communication to get the best information out of the organizations on the supplier and OEM side um, as quickly as possible. Um, it's that mentality that I think the industry approaches every day-to-day issue or decision on and and this is one that comes back to i think and uh, that we saw in the survey that comes back to an earlier observation you made john uh was was on the buyer knowledge side the issue about closing the ability to close issues quickly 
whether it be a, a pricing dispute or a tooling dispute um, or material cost inflation um, uh, recovery uh, from that standpoint, there was definitely a bottleneck there in terms of, of human resources to get those issues closed. And then again, I go back to it's the business practices, the corporate policies that have to be aligned with those um, the human resources to push those issues through the system, get them resolved, get them get, and get the get the teams moved on to the real creative part of the industry in terms of the designing, engineering, and and production of these new vehicles that are coming at us. Yeah, Mark, um, how do you see that happening on? Uh, the electrification side, I mean, all automakers have, have very ambitious goals to sell ba uh, electric cars, but they need batteries. And, and that seems to be a potential bottleneck that the industry is facing. Hasn't hit home quite yet, but uh, with some of the startups it has, but, but not with the traditionals. But this could be a big bottleneck for them, too. Do you see them working on resolving that? It, it's, you know job one job two you know thinking about the investments that you know the the detroit three are making in in battery plants announced and still to be announced uh, we expect is is you see the launches the vehicle launches through this decade and certainly into next we're likely to get to a point where current plans current announced plans will be insufficient to meet the, the needs of the battery manufacturers of the, of the traditional oems let alone the startups so the the announcements you see are to get us, frankly, to get us through this decade. And then beyond that, we'll be looking to additional plant announcements, additional locations. We're already seeing Canada opening up with uh, with Stellantis over there in Windsor. So that's a, 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 a bottleneck that will be resolved. The, mm -hmm. the, the automakers already have you know, a line of sight to what their forecasts are, a line of sight beyond you know, the end of 2030 uh, to what their volumes are likely to be. I worry more for the startups and their access to, to good battery technology and, uh, and continuing research and development and different types of chemistries, cheaper chemistries and cheaper batteries that may be sucked up by the larger OEMs that's where I, I, I worry. And that's why I think, um, you know, some of the startup OEMs really need to be extracting and, and making the relationships with a, a number of, of the more innovative battery manufacturers as we move forward. They'll, they'll have to be a, it's almost like a captive, non-captive uh, battery market, the captives being the JVs with the with the GMs, Ford, Stellantis, et cetera. And the non-captive being independent battery manufacturers who will sell to to startups, that that is a market that's starting to to pick up. But right now, the as you say, we're not matched. But we'll get to a point where those those lines cross pretty pretty uh, soon. So late in probably late in this decade, uh, going into the next decade. Yeah, and and there that's another area where you have a return on investment for supplier relations, right? Because you you have the relationships with these suppliers that whether it's from some of the technology and R and D and intellectual property side you're yeah. seeing, or or from production capacity, come online for the OEMs, whether it's a legacy firm or, or a new startup, to get the product onto the market, and then that those those are the firms that will get the capital, 
uh, flowing yeah. to them. And so there, there's another area where, where supplier relations pay off. Dave, we're down to the last couple of minutes here. What advice would you give to automakers on how they can improve their, their supplier relationships? Well, they, the, it always comes down to alignment from the top uh, down through the, the uh, purchasing organization there. What we're seeing when, when we saw, I, I think, with, with Nissan make its moves uh, year over year here, it's also alignment back to the parent company. And, and Nissan was going up in this case. Yeah, yeah cor- correct. And, and, uh, and that's important. That's very difficult first to establish and then to have it uh, uh, ingrained, institutionalized to continue on. So it, it's, it's, ver- it's vertical integration and alignment as well as horizontal. And that's where, uh, where, where you can bring uh, the, the different functions together. And it can't be about finger pointing. It's really about uh, what we're talking about here of, of bringing this new technology to the market in the, in the most cost-effective manner. Um, and so you're taking that friction. You're really looking at the friction uh, at the interface between the, the supplier and, and the OEM. Um, so the, it short answer, it top, top leadership has to get behind it um, as well. And, and then I think is look at these new challenges that, that Mark has talked about and think about how do your purchasing organizations need to evolve to match up with this new supply base that uh, that that purchasing will need to deal with uh, in the next five to 10 years. Yeah. Um, with that, I'm afraid we're going okay. to have to wrap up, but that's a good point to end on. Dave Andrea, Mark, Mark Barrett from Plant Moran. Thanks so much for sharing the results of your latest supplier working ship survey. Very interesting findings in it. Very good. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode.